When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Justice. And this year's first actual edition of Taking Care of Lady Business This is my first recording of the year. Today, we have the amazing Jolie Hunt. She's the CEO and founder of Hunt and Gather, which is a communications and experience company. She's going to tell us all about it in a minute and how she got there and why you all need to hire her. Welcome, Jolie. (laughs) Happy New Year. Hello, JJ. (laughs) <laughs> Looking chic as ever in this beautiful, weird 2022. So I know. I know. Well, staying all indoors makes it a lot easier. So tell us, first and foremost, what is Hunt and Gather? Hunt and Gather is my antidote to being uh, fed up with my corporate jobs. Um, I founded the business. It's actually eight years ago this week, if That's you can crazy. believe it, um, which just feels like a lie, but it's 100% <laughs> the truth, which is wild um, because in my head, I'm still 28, but in reality, um, everything hurts. So uh, <laughs> Uh, look, I mean, I my joke is that I spent 15 or 16 years in corporate life running communications and events and marketing and brand and social media for a lot of really venerable, mostly media businesses. And then it just stopped becoming, I don't know, it just stopped being fun. And right. so when I started the company, it was really because I just didn't feel like I had alternatives to do what I love. And I was petrified to start a business. I didn't think I had the ego for it. I thought I was going to be like one of those friends who becomes a real estate agent who's always, you know, trying to sell you a house. <laughs> and I just thought, Jesus, I, I, I just don't want that <laughs> to yeah. be me. And a beautiful organic thing happened, which is I left my last corporate job and the phone started ringing and it was these wonderful people that I've had, you know, personal and professional relationships with that just said, Hey, could you come to Davos and plan a dinner for Melinda Gates? And that was Tina Brown. And I was like, yeah, you know, sure. And Jacob Weisberg, he was running Slate magazine and he said, Hey, could you help us do this roadshow for growth with GE? It's something called native advertising. And I was like, well, I don't know what native advertising is. And he said, well, you got to round up all the mayors and like, you know, St. Louis and Kansas city and Chicago and 
pitch some press and get a couple hundred people to these town halls. And I said, Oh, you, you know, you need a cruise director. Perfect. Yeah. I can be your cruise director. And, and that's basically the origin story. I mean, I wish I could say that I had some grand plan. Um, and I did that for a few months and my very sweet, capable, supportive husband, Will said, uh, I think you should take the printer out of the bathtub and actually start a business. <laughs> and uh, I was really nervous because I thought we're going to, starved to death. And, you know, I'm older than my husband was the breadwinner. And I thought, you know, there's such safety in working for a company. And the reality is there's no safety. No. And you know this, you've yeah. bet on yourself for a long while. Yeah. And it's like betting on yourself is kind of intoxicating once you get over those voices in your head that tell you all the reasons why you couldn't and you shouldn't. And, it's been the most amazing journey. I mean, I now have offices in London and New York and LA. I've had two babies in that time. I've had breast cancer in that time. I've lost a parent and, you know, I'm thriving as cheesy as that sounds, but it's every day is a pretty good day. So thank goodness I I did it. Well, I mean, there's so much to unpack in that whole intro (laughs) right there. I mean, (laughs) the most reason being it's like when you have your own business even when you're going through the worst of times, at least you get to dictate what that means. And you know what I mean? You get to go, okay, how many, you know, how many days off can I have to mourn my parent or to get chemo treatment? You know what I mean? And it's like, if they're, you know, if your clients don't understand, then do you really want them as clients? You know, it's kind of like as a woman building her own business, the whole point is we're building the matriarchal system to work for us because the patriarchal system never fit. We never fit in and we're never going to fit in. It is meant for men who have stay at home wives who leave before the kids get up and come home when they're going to bed and have dinner and be like, I did my job, you know, and that's how it is. And then on top. Okay. And so then another part to unpack is, you know, not everybody gets a call from Tina Brown. So maybe we go like, you know, you had a corporate job where you were, you know, you, and I like to talk about these things and like using your corporate job to make all the connections and get everything you can. Like, so where were these corporate jobs you worked out before? Yeah. I mean, my big break, if you could call it that was working for the financial times. I started working there when I was 24 and I was put in charge of communications at 25, which now that I employ 25-year-olds seems completely bonkers that anyone let me <laughs> take the reins. But I worked for this amazing man named Lionel Barber, who was then the US managing editor of the FT, which means he ran the editorial operation. And it really showed me the world. I mean, my joke is that the highlight of my business travel before the FT was, you know, a conference in Jacksonville, Florida. And a year later, I was, you know, having a tea with Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, cheesy, crazy British prime ministers. They all start to blend. And I'd show up at these places, you know, the Asia Society or, you know, when Dick Fold was running Lehman Brothers. And I was like the PR person in the room. And some people would say, you know, I know you've talked about this. Oh, could you get me a coffee? And I was like, yeah, I can get you a coffee. I can, I can also broker the deal. And so I was just so happy to be in the room and almost happy to be underestimated. And I would say to people, you know, you can quiz me all day long on my pedigree or, or my capabilities, but I guarantee you at the end of this meeting, you're going to give me a hug because I'm the person who gets shit done. Yeah. And you'd see these people, you know, going, you know, well, did she go to Oxford? Did she go to Cambridge? And it's like, nope, I, I went to Boston university very proudly. 
And I just had a way with the details and understanding from a pretty early age that if you can connect the dots and figure out who's selling and who's buying and how to make that a relatively frictionless experience and be a, you know, somewhat pleasant and decent human being in the process, you're going to go places. And I, you know, I have a phenomenal memory for detail and I've followed up and I didn't know I was building a network. I mean, it seems very specific when people say, you know, I'm networking and it, it always kind of feels a little gross to me, but I, I was building relationships with people and I still do that. And it, it never really felt transactional. And I think you can smell someone a mile away when they want something from you. And, and I, I really just wanted to be in the room where it happened is, you know, yeah. is, as cheesy as it sounds to, you know, no, because you got to take advantage, you know, taking advantage of that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you know, I, I took an assignment in 2006 to go to Asia. I moved to China. I was the, the largest person in the continent. I think, I mean, don't go at five foot 10 to buy pantyhose or sneakers or a raincoat in China because you get laughed out of the stores. And it was really healthy for me at, let's see, I guess I was 28 then to be the other, right. I mean, to understand that doing business in Shanghai or in Korea or in, you know, Thailand is just the same as doing business in New York or Chicago or LA, you just have to adapt to cultural norms and how business is done. And, you know, I know you talk a lot in your life about how women break through. And it was really fascinating at that age to be the person running a big project. And I remember being in Korea with the Seoul metropolitan government and you bring all these gifts and it all feels completely pointless. You know, it's, it's this manufactured exchange of pleasantries and, and nobody would talk to me. It was all men on their side. And I was the senior person and they would only talk to the junior men on the team. And I, finally, you know, at 28, and I don't know where I got this like chutzpah or gumption, but I just, I just sort of put my hands up and I said, I am the boss. Yeah. <laughs> you need to talk to me. Yeah. And they were all so startled that they just, they started talking to me because I, I just, again, I don't think, I don't think people had asserted power and yeah. not that I'm some power hungry, you know, maniac, but I, I just remember thinking I'm the one who did all this work. I'm not just going to sit here and be deferential to someone who, who's just in the room and has a penis. Um, yeah. Like, you know, it's not really my jam. So I learned a lot from that job. I loved that job and I'm still, you know, 20 years later, I hosted Lionel, uh, you know, for Thanksgiving a couple months ago and his family and, you know, seeing my kids play with his grandchild. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the circle of life is a pretty beautiful thing. And so he really taught me a lot, but he also, I always say he cleared the brush for me. I mean, as, as a senior, brilliant, wonderful person, he recognized that I had talent and he just made sure to clear the way for me to have, um, you know, a great job. And we didn't always agree. I mean, you know, we would, we would have some pretty heated discussions, but it was always grounded in respect and care for bettering the work and moving the paper forward. And so I, I will forever be grateful to him for giving me the, the boost to, you know, kind of come into my own profession. Right. Right. And so where did you go? I mean, look, that's, it's always great to have like that kind of mentor and somebody who can support you. It's not 
everybody's experience and definitely yeah. not every we most women's experience yeah. um kind of quite the opposite but you know so good for you that's awesome and I love that you still have that you know connection so where did you go from there I was recruited uh, by a guy named John Awada, who was running communications for IBM. And I went to IBM as the executive director of business communications. And I'm still not sure I know what that means, but (laughs) I had a very lofty title. And I remember them telling me what band I was and what kind of artwork I could have and what floor I could have my office on. And I stayed at IBM for 18 months and I I remember my first few weeks there, I just couldn't believe, you know, everyone had an MBA and was, you know, had these big, huge brains. And I just remember thinking, I can't believe I work here. You know, this everyone's so smart. And on day three, I had a meeting (laughs) with the CEO, Sam Palmisano. And 10 minutes before the meeting, this pair of pants that I had made in Hong Kong, the zipper broke on the side. And like, you know, those kind of side zip pants where there's a lot of flesh if you don't uh, zip them properly. So it got stuck at the top. So I had to go into my first meeting with the IBM CEO with basically like a pound of flesh just hanging out on the side of my ass cheek, basically. And And that kind of set the tone for my time there. I mean, you know, I just, I was, you know, maneuvering to be on a certain side and, you know, I got home from work that day and had to cut myself out of my pants. And I was like, that could be a new personal low, that experience. So I stayed at IBM for a year and a half. I was forever in IBM jail. You know, the cell phone bill had to be under $150 and mine was always $151 and I was getting flagged left, right, and center. And, and I realized an important lesson in that company was, and there's so many brilliant people there. I just wasn't motivated by the, the aspects of reward that were in that system. I did not care what my title was. I did not care how many people reported to me. I did not care about any of the trimmings and trappings. I just cared about getting things done. And I I still care about that. And so ultimately I left because I really couldn't, couldn't feel like I was accomplishing enough. Mm-hmm. And a company that size, you're never up to date. You you never know all the news. You never know all the things. And it's there's so many people involved that I realized, kind of in that weird Goldilocks way. You know, the FT was kind of I called it like a wild Ferrari, right? It was fast and cool. Just you know, please don't look, look under the hood because in those days, you know you don't want to know how it's put together. And and IBM felt like a barge to me. You know, you can't help but appreciate the utility of it and the size and the scale, but you're not turning that barge. I mean, you're not changing the course of direction. (laughs) You really can't have inputs that have an impact unless, you know, you're very, very patient. And one attribute that I do not possess is patience. And so... I left and was recruited. I had a dual recruitment at the Atlantic um, when Justin Smith was running it. And Justin's in the headlines this week for for leaving his post as CEO at Bloomberg to start a new media company. And I had said yes to going to run marketing comms at the Atlantic. I was dating a guy in DC at the time. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll take a pay cut. I'll go do something very noble. I missed media. And then I got a call from a headhunter who said, you know, Reuters has just been bought by Thompson. And there's this global comms job and it's basically the most perfect job for you. And I read the, the seven page job description and oh my I gosh. thought, shit, 
that like it was this culmination of everything I knew how to do in one job. And I said, I, I think you're right. You know, it's it's a UK based newsroom, but it's financial services and, you know, real global scale, but an ability to like develop a brand and make an impact. And I said, you're too late. I, you know, I already accepted another job and they said, no, 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 you, you have to come. And I, I'm, I'm not a better deal. You kind of person. I, I feel like my word is all I have. And I said, look, I, I can't start sneaking around and interviewing, you know, somebody will see me and out me. And it, it just didn't feel like the right thing to do. And I said, and I have a celebratory dinner with uh, the Atlantic and said ex-boyfriend had a very famous father who died the day of my celebratory dinner. And I, I sort of half jokingly say it's the nicest thing he ever did for me because I got out of my dinner. Oh my God. And in a weird way, like everybody knew who this person was and it gave me this window to go talk to the Reuters people. And I, I met the CEO, they fast tracked me to the front of the line because I didn't have any you know, I didn't have any time and I met the CEO and he, you know, this wonderful guy named Devin Wenig. And he was like in his early forties. I was 30 at the time. And he hired me on the spot. He said, I think you should come do this, but I didn't hear him. Like I, I just thought, Oh, he must not have said that. So I didn't react, which made him nervous. And it was a huge accidental point of leverage for me because, uh, you know, he's like, you should do this. And I, I just kind of smiled at him uh-huh. thinking there's no way he's offering me this job right now. Yeah. And so I left and I called the headhunter and they said, oh, how'd it go? I said, you know, I, I think he's going to hire me. And they were like, no, Jolie, I'm sure you did a very good job, but right. you know, it was a full slate and there's 17 other people going in. And I said, well, you can, you can either believe me or not believe me, but that man was going to tell someone to do something to hire me. And the head hunting firm had to eat crow a couple hours later when they called and said, yep, uh, he's called off the rest of the search and said, make it happen with her. And that was like my other big break. And so I was turning 30 and I became the global head of communications at Thomson Reuters, which at the time was like a $13 billion business. And we had 3000 journalists based in New York. And, um, and there was this cute British guy who brought me my business cards one day and, and he's now my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it had a happy ending and I, I moved to London with that job and again, saw the world. And I just, again, was really fortunate to, to work in places where I had support and people understood my gifts. I mean, Tom Gloser, who was the corporate CEO of Thomson Reuters is, I mean, we have lunch, you know, at least four times a year still. And he's, you know, he's a huge angel on my shoulder with my business and Devin I'm thick as thieves with. And you know, I, I still have the husband, you know, all these years later. So, I mean, it, again, like I've had some really good experiences and, and when I, they blew up the company in 2012 and I left and I didn't really know what I was going to do. And the former head of HR went to AOL and said, Hey, I, I think you should become the chief marketing officer of AOL. And I said, well, who cares about AOL, you know, and they had just bought Huffington Post right. and TechCrunch and Movie Phone and MapQuest. And I had never really been a, a public company CMO. I had always grown up on the comm side. 
And so it took nine months, which is a big fat, you know, glaring red sign that it shouldn't take nine months to get a new job. It should take nine months to grow. Nine months for them to actually go through and hire you after from start. It was nine months of meetings and presentations and helping crazy when I hear that. And it was in a, if I had had more, um, more wits about me at that moment, I would have run in the opposite direction um, because it's a telltale sign. It, with a partner, with a job, with a client, if it feels hard, yeah. things end how they start for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I that last- goes back to women's intuition. And that we talk Absolutely. about that a lot on this podcast. It's like, yep. if it does not feel right, like you know, maybe you still have to take it. Maybe you do it, but use that as a, like from day one that you start as a stepping stone to find the next thing, you know, and better thing and take all the advantages it has, meeting the right people, getting all the experience, whatever. Yeah. And that's what you did there, right? I mean, yes, no, I'd love to say that I did, but honestly, I was working like 19 hour days and, you know, my hair was falling out, my fingernails stopped growing and, and I had never failed at anything. And I just, I couldn't get them to understand that, you know, putting a keg of beer in the, in the hallway was not how you built culture. And, you know, after hurricane Sandy taking a private plane and unloading a couple boxes, but then, you know, calling the today show to say, we unloaded all these boxes. I'm like, well, just give the 30 grand you spent on the plane to the people who need it. Like nobody cares about you, you know, jetting in like some hero. And so I just, I fundamentally disagreed with the leadership of the business and, it taught me a lot. And that's why I have my company. It was such a bad experience. And I left in a fairly big blaze of glory. And I found this amazing man named Steven Zweig. And I remember meeting with him and telling him the whole AOL story. And he just gave me this look. And I will never forget that look, uh, you know, 10 years later. And the look was like, what's a nice girl like you wrapped up in a weird yeah. <laughs> story like this? And to this day, I mean, he's a confidant, he's a friend, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a woke male and, and he's just always been a, a real mensch and supporter. And so I, I know people don't think about having, you know, PR counsel or legal counsel or, or any of these things until sometimes they're pressed to need to have them. But I'd say my advice is think about, building network of people like you and people like me and, and others, you know, in our lives who can just be there for you show up in your corner before you need them. Because when you need them, it's almost a little bit too late because, you know, everybody's got a gun to their head in the situation, but. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's another great point though. Like what we were talking about before we even started this, like women need to have all their people in place. You do need a lawyer. If you are any in any executive suite, a lawyer needs to look at your deal. Like, you know, we have a a mutual friend where something just happened and she, she was like, she didn't feel she could afford it. She had, uh, didn't have an, an attorney look at her deal. And literally I met with her on a Monday on Friday, she was fired. And she yep. had a shitty deal because she didn't have it negotiated. But thankfully, she had a claim and I helped her get a big settlement because of that. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, she would have been stuck with a shitty severance. Like these things need to be negotiated. Maybe you don't negotiate. Maybe it's like the, not the salary, maybe not the title, but 
there are so many little things in your agreements and like you need these people, you need your trusted advisors around you. If you're going to grow, you need it now. You need your accountant, you need your attorney, you need your marketing people, you need your social media, you need them all when you need them. And you can't, yeah, you're not going to like, you have 24 hours, you know, and you're like, I got to get this done. People have lives too. They're on vacations. They are, you know, not, they're busy. Um, Get these people and get them in your corner and pay them. (laughs) Pay them. We are done with free advice. Even to each other. I totally agree. And I, I think that, you know, my tribe of women is, my chosen family in many yeah. respects. I mean, I, it would crush me if someone said, oh, she's not a, a woman who supports women. You know, I, I think that there's aspects of our life where you have to build that cabinet of people who can give you that sometimes very tough advice when you can't see it or say, absolutely not. We're going to fight yeah. instead of, you know, capitulate and it's going to be uncomfortable, but I've got your back and yeah. you know, I'm going to kick down the door before you walk in. And I feel, I feel with age and it comes a certain calming of the ego where you feel like you spend a lot of your early life leading with pride and I couldn't possibly, and I don't want to impose. And then then you get to, you know, your thirties and your forties and you're like, you know what, fuck this. I, (laughs) what's more important than my mental, you know, well-being or my, you know, supporting my family or having, dignity in, yeah. in how I'm showing up in the world. So I completely agree with you that having great people in your corner when things are great and things are not great is equally important. Well, and it helps you, just helps you get through the day and knowing that everyone else is going through this. This was one of the most freeing things of me too. People are like, oh my God, this happens yeah. to me. This happens to me. And it doesn't have to be overt sexual harassment in a physically sexual way. It's just like, straight up discrimination because you're a woman, you know, and uh, yeah. And putting a keg in like, you know, when I first started at Superfly, like they were like, well, we have beer. And I was like, I don't care. I don't drink beer. And you have like, you know, a bunch of women here. Maybe they don't drink beer either. Maybe they do. Or maybe some of the guys like to drink wine. Like you cannot just, you know, it says so much by when I went, I remember going to Vice and like, we have a keg in the, I was like, who cares? Why do I care about that? Congratulations. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Great. It just means another place where you're all down there drinking beer while the women are upstairs doing the work. Great. You know? And so tell us about your job now. Like, I know we don't have so much time, but I was like, what are you doing? Who are you representing? How are you helping them? And like, who should hire you? (laughs) All of those things. Uh, Look, I mean, it's a mixed bag. I mean, we're working with everyone from Athleta on, you know, all the amazing work they've done with Simone Biles and Allison Felix and rethinking, um, you know, how to support women. And just it's, that's been an incredible thing to, to witness and, you know, to talk about promoting masks when you didn't know masks were even going to be a reality. Um, so it, it runs the gamut of, you know, everyone from Barry's boot camp to Julie Rice and Elizabeth Cutler's new business, Peoplehood, which is my my uh, shirt that I'm wearing um, to, you know, the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones and, you know, Vice, if you're, if you're bringing up Vice, I mean, our, our biggest, <laughs> no, I love client- I have many people who work there, but this was years ago, pre women, like running the company, pre Nancy, pre Nancy, yeah, pre Nancy. Um, yeah. 
And um, no, look, we, we do a ton for Amazon out of the UK. We have a couple properties in the Maldives. I mean, it's it's really quite a mixed bag of we do a lot in health and wellness, a lot in media. You know, whenever Hermes has a big launch or opening, we sometimes get involved there. Oh, and yeah, so I know. I went I, to one of those. That was amazing. That was so great. Yeah, I mean, it's just I want to work with great people. And so I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, agnostic about the topic. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to work for pharma companies. That's, that's not my jam, but we tend to do a lot with executives who are thinking about their profile and their narrative and, and how do you partner with them to really be purposeful in it? I mean, you'd have a personal trainer or you'd have a dentist look at your teeth. Why wouldn't you have a professional think about your, you know, your number one asset, which is really how, how you're showing up and how you're perceived and what do people think about when they think about you? Do they think about you? Um, I love that work and doing it for some, you know, big, you know, interesting VCs. And I mean, it's a really mixed bag. I mean, it's, you know, I spent a couple of years representing Kanye, as you know, and, and the Yeezy business. And I think people are people are people. Oh yeah. Um, Poor lady. And <laughs> Yeah. And like, we're doing a ton for Netflix right now and all these, I'm sure you've seen the, you know, the experiential um, interactive theater moments with, you know, Van Gogh or Princess Diana or Banksy or Army of the Dead. And so my team has just been killing it, opening all these exhibitions all over the States. And so it's really a mixed bag of like, like true PR, like, are you promoting a product or a person? And then a lot of experiential events, which I really hope come back this year. Yeah. I mean, we've had like some bright spots in 21, um, but you know, digital events are, are grim. It's not the same. And so at what level, you know, because a lot of women here are like starting businesses, they're listening, you know, at what level should people be hiring you? I mean, look, I have the great fortune now of we've become expensive um, in that we're working with bigger and bigger companies. So early days, I did a lot of work with startups and smaller businesses and startups were challenging to support because nobody wants to pay anything and they want to burn your Rolodex, uh, you know, burn through it in two months when someone that's been around the block a couple of times and says, okay, we're going to plan the year. They just have a certain level of care with, you know, these very precious relationships that you've built. And so look, I think, I think anyone looking to, that knows that they need PR, but doesn't like the typical construct of a PR firm or support in that way. I mean, I, I think that you, you got to treat the whole person or the whole company when you're thinking about this. And I I've never been impressed with people in my field who, who lord their relationships over you and make you feel less than because you might not know the person or the strategy or the ways to get it done. And so I mean, we've touched wood, never really had a problem with people finding us or us finding them. And I don't know, I just want to be part of something that that feels, you know, a bit laced with joy and, you know, making an impact and a difference. And sometimes that's a really phenomenal project. And sometimes that's saying, okay, you know, what's going to be the big move it can this year and and how do we break through? And so it's been an incredible thing to, you know, work with Kelly Campbell at Hulu and then support her when she goes to Peacock and, and to sort of bring your crew along for the ride. So I think finding people, whether it's a freelancer, an in-house person, an agency that can kind of fill in the blanks for you and fill in the white space and you can build a level of rapport and, 
care with. I, I, you know, I know you, you'll yell at me for not just advocating for myself, but I think, you know, advocating for, for people in the field who, you know, are really going to lock arms with you and say, I, I got you on this and, and how do we figure it out? And so, you know, it's, it's a really mixed bag. I mean, of people and companies. Right. That you work with. So like, when is it, when do you think is the right time to hire anybody in comms if you're a startup company? At what point do you think you need to? Because some people I think, think it's too soon, you know, or. I have a real point of view on this. Um, typically, when people are doing their raises, Series A and Series B, you don't tend to need a comms person, right? The, your investor base will want you to keep it lean. They're really betting on the founding team. Does the tech work? Is the idea right? Is the founding team, you know, going to take you the distance? And then this thing happens right before the Series C, where companies and investors need third-party validation. They want to know that you know how to describe yourselves. They, you've proven the concept works, and that the somebody somewhere is willing to be a paying customer. But that is the moment I think people need comm support in-house or agencies. I think agencies are amazing as you get going because you can throw a lot of people and big, bold ideas at things. And then as you get more established, having an in-house comms person that sometimes is enough or also partners with an agency, I think is, is such a fine investment if you get the right person. And I think just understanding that not any single person or entity can do absolutely everything. And I think right. people conflate PR with marketing and with social media. And so I think working with an agency in those earlier days or as you're, as you're going into your C and D level funding, it just means that you can, you can prove out the concept and see if the press cares. And, you know, there's a lot of money flying around right now. And we work with a company that just had a hundred million dollar series D and nobody cared. There's so much money that a hundred million dollars didn't even turn anyone's head, which is just crazy. It's an amazing company, but it's, it's a really tough sell. And so I think it's, you know, it's, it's a funny moment in time. And I think sometimes, and just let people do what they do, you know, give them the brief and don't, um, don't cut off their arms and their legs and say, you have to write it exactly this way. But also don't give them such carte blanche that, uh, you know, the narrative sounds nothing like you or your people, because that's that's also not great advice. Um, and look, I think people expect miracles in some respects. Or, yeah. You know, they're led by, you know, looking over their shoulder. Hey, so and so did did this and so and so did that. And it's like, great. Be happy for them, because that means that there's there's an opportunity for you in this market, in this category to have attention paid to it. So. Right. Right. Amazing. Well, all great advice. Definitely. I know so many people are wondering like when they should be hiring people. So thank you for that. I love that you had a very um, poignant point of view. You're like, I have a point of view on this. (laughs) Just trusting your authentic self always (laughs) and voicing your opinion. I know that you um, need to go and do a lot of work today as so do I. So I got to wrap this up. Unfortunately, Um, there's always one question though. I ask everybody at the end, and that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Uh, The worst advice I ever got was someone telling me to uh, curtail my personality. So they said, no, you should, you should just 
you know, wear beige and don't paint your fingernails and, you know, wear skirts every day. And I felt like I was walking around in someone else's skin. So I think that's definitely the worst advice was just, just, you know, be someone that I'm not. Yeah. I think if anybody listens to this interview, they're going to realize that that was definitely the worst advice for you. It's the worst advice for anybody, you know, don't bring your full self. Don't, you know, by the way, women get that. That is a very common theme in the worst advice I've ever received. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah, totally. Um, All right. So people want to find you, hire you. How do they do that? They can email me, Jolie at hunt-gather.com. I exist very minimally on social media. Um, LinkedIn, Instagram is really just an ode to my my small children. So um, email me or my website or I guess LinkedIn. So And your website is huntandgather.com? It's hunt-gather.com. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining today and being the first guest of the year. And to everyone out there, let us know what other topics you want. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.